Welcome to the Team Building Podcast, where you'll learn how to build a dominant real estate team in your market. Featuring masterminds with team leaders and mega agents, plus in-depth interviews with operations managers and marketing directors of some of the top teams in the country. You'll learn the latest methods to generate and convert leads, streamline your operations, recruit and train better agents, and raise your profit. And now, here's the latest team building podcast. Hey, what's up, you guys? Jeff Cohn here, CEO of Elite Real Estate Systems and the podcast master on the team building podcast with Jeff Cohn. Super excited today to have an amazing guest, Christy Moore, who has built up an amazing business, both in a residential real estate team, as well as many other endeavors, which she's going to share with us here in just a minute. But I really wanted to focus today on direct reports, which is a role that we're focusing on this month for our group coaching product. If you're not familiar with our team leader group coaching product, go check it out on our website, EliteRealEstateSystems.com. Click on live stream. Christy Moore, welcome to the call today. Bring our audience up to speed. How has your last five years gone? <laughs> uh, the last five years has been interesting. It's been, uh, it's been a lot of rebuilding and I'm excited to share my story and I hope it helps some people out. I think it definitely will. You know, I always say on this podcast, everyone always wants to talk about their successes. Christy's chosen to be vulnerable today. We're going to talk about some of her failures. And I'm sure a lot of people listening are either in the same boat or have been in the same boat. And sadly, knock on wood, may possibly be in the same boat into the future. And I hope that the information we discussed today will help dig some of those people out of those trenches. So go ahead, Christy, share your story. Let's take a couple minutes on that. Help have some foundation here for our audience. Okay. So I started my real estate career in 2007. I got licensed in Michigan, actually, when I first started. And when I started, the market there was already starting to crash. So we uh, started crashing in Michigan well before the actual 2008 crash. So I got started doing short sales and foreclosures and all of the the tough stuff that people didn't really know how to do in the market. And uh, my first two years in the business were in Michigan. My first year, I was Rookie of the Year. And then I moved to Virginia. And I didn't know a single person when I moved here. And when I moved here, the day that I was looking at properties to to rent, uh, Lehman Brothers was actually collapsing on the TV. Mm. So that was a really interesting experience to be moving markets at the same time the market's collapsing. But I was really confident because of the fact that I had already been in a distressed market. And I just took the knowledge that I had from Michigan and applied it to Virginia. I um, is, am a Craig Proctor alum, so I knew how to generate leads and convert them. And my first year in Virginia, again, not knowing a single person, I made about 180000 um net that year. And most of it was actually through short sales and Craigslist leads, if you can remember that. Awesome. And then I um, joined Keller Williams and I started a team in 2011. And by 2011, 14, we're doing about 1.6 million in GCI. And then the bottom fell out. I, um, I got divorced and went through a really tough time, you know, mentally and financially and pretty much lost everything after that and had to rebuild from there. And I started my own brokerage at the bottom of, <laughs> of all of this. I decided that it would be a great idea to start my own brokerage. So, um, but it was great because it was a fresh start. I got to build my team back up from scratch. I learned a lot from having a team before and, you know, doing well and then also losing it all. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you actually learn more when you fail than when you're, when you're doing well, because I thought that I was 
you know, invincible and unstoppable and, and nothing bad could happen. Um, but I literally went from broke to, um, you know, about three years it took to, um, to go from nothing again to about 1.2 million in, in, in cash and equity of the properties and, and investments that I own. And I also um, have invested in real estate pretty heavily throughout all, all of these years from the time the market crashed all the way till now. Yep. Um, and my investment strategies have changed over the years, but I'm still uh, an investor in real estate. It's, I think it's one of the greatest investments out there. And that's not just a realtor saying that. Right. That is me as, as an actual investor. Yep. Um, we, you well, know, I own my own office building. We're going to get into that today too and unpack that investment strategy okay. a little bit. And I know that was a topic that everyone wanted to know more about at our summit a few weeks ago. We had over 100 mm -hmm. people in attendance and we spent a half a day on investing in single family, multifamily and the different strategies surrounding that. Because so many people build these teams, they start generating all this wealth. And if they do it the right way, in my opinion, they exit the rainmaker role, they go into the CEO role, and right. then they ask themselves, where should this money go? And so talking on direct reports, I know you've had a ton of success up to this point. Real quick, share with the audience what your numbers were last year or where you're going to trend this year. And then let's talk about some of your virtual direct reports. Because I know all your agents are in the DC area, but most mm -hmm. of your support staff, it sounded like, are spread across the country. That's correct. Yeah, because what happened was, um, you know, I was looking to exit the business and the labor around here is very expensive and I just couldn't make the numbers work by having, you know, uh, a large admin staff here in, in the D.C. metro area. I mean, the average sales price is 600000 People need to make more money than, you know, 10 to 12 bucks an hour. So, um, so I started... Um, you know, working with people virtually. And that was actually tough for me because I was so used to being in their space and telling them what to do all the time and, and letting go and, and putting systems in place and actually being able to see what they're doing and making sure there's proper expectations and agreements and all that in place was, and documenting everything, which is not my MO, but it, it was ne necessary if you're going to have people virtually. Um, that was all very different for me. So, um, but it's so actually allowed me to. If you're listening right now, go rewind 30 seconds. There was a lot there <laughs> because you're defining a role, which you have to do as the rainmaker or team leader. First, you defined a role, you created job um, specifications. You then had to find the person that right. say they, they could do those things at the rate you were willing to pay. And then you had to train them on how to do it and hold them accountable to doing it all virtually, which you're used to doing it in person, which is most of us, I think. But you chose to go the virtual route yeah. because, of course, you're probably paying 20, 25 bucks an hour to an admin in DC. Whereas if you found someone somewhere else like Omaha, you might be able to get away with 12 to $15 an hour. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, when I was running the numbers, I just couldn't make the numbers work with the, the support that we actually needed and, and what we had to pay people around here. It just, mm -hmm. it just it, none of it made sense. The margins were way too thin. Yep. Um, and so, you know, that was a very, it was a very unique experience, but it's actually given me a lot of freedom um, because I'm, you know, we have scheduled times to check in. They know exactly what the roles and responsibilities are. They know exactly what the expectations are and their deadlines and everything is, um, all of our trainings are recorded on Zoom. So we're able to duplicate the process as well. I don't need to train anybody okay. anymore. I mean, it's, it's, we have all the videos and all of the screen shares and everything already recorded. And that's so super easy, um, once right? it's set up, it's done. Anything worth training is worth recording. So you never have to train it again or you never have to say it again. So I think that's great. Run Absolutely. us through really quick. How many agents do you have? How many direct reports? <laughs> Who are those direct report roles? 
Um, so we have six agents. Um, we have 10 uh, direct reports total. That's so it's four admins, six agents. Um, we do about 100, 100 to 120 transactions. We're at about one one and a half million. Like I said, we rebuilt from yeah. zero. So yeah. we went to 1.6, went to zero, then went back up. Um, and we're we're just starting to scale again um, to the point where we're adding more agents. So what admin? Um, but, I mean, as far as the productivity, anyone listening, six agents, four admin. Six agents to four admins seems a little crazy. Obviously, some of those admin must be callers. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. I'm. I'm. A, okay. I'm uh, assuming that an inbound uh, caller is or inbound sure. is support. Yes. So you have that's, some inbound. So two of them um, are coordinator. Yep. So we have a listing coordinator. We have a, an office manager who also does our staging. So she does all of our field work and listing prep. Um, and manages the office. She just basically manages everything. She's local. Yeah. And then we have a transaction coordinator who is um, who's not local. She's she's also virtual. And um, and then we have our uh, inside salesperson who is virtual. She's in Texas. Can I ask you if your inside salesperson and your admin are licensed realtors? Um, so our admin are all licensed. Our inside salesperson is not licensed. Um, okay. Depending on what she says, you know, she has to yep. say certain things, but yep. she can. In our state, she cannot be licensed. She just can't give advice. Can't talk about real estate, but can pass it along to a realtor, right? Yeah. Cool. Exactly. Well, I, yep. I love that you're doing it this way. I think this is going to be the hybrid um, administrative staff of the future. I don't think that we're going to be able to afford everyone in one spot. I think that it makes perfect sense. How did you go about finding these people? So some of them are people that I know. Some of them were hired through um, ads. So basically, when I wrote the ads, I was trying to get in the head of the person that I thought would be the right person. So my avatar. Mm -hmm. um, so for instance, our office manager, I really needed somebody who was really organized, who could handle a lot of different things going on all at once, but was really great with people, really good with our clients because she had a lot of client-facing activities. But she also had to be very creative and aesthetically, um, you know, be a high aesthetic because she's uh, preparing all of our properties for sale. That's a lot of different things in one person. Right. And as soon as I met her, because I was so clear on what I wanted, I knew, I, she, I knew she was it. I mean, I, I didn't even, I mean, I interviewed her, but I knew because I saw her Instagram page. She actually sure. refinishes furniture on the side. Um, she was a high, uh, she was an IC personality, which is a really weird mix. So she's detail oriented, but likes people. She's great with our clients. She's just amazing. She really is just amazing. And right. I actually found her in Craigslist. But I wrote the ad to to call to her, and when she read it, she said, "This is this is me. This is everything you know that I want to do. This is exactly who I am. This is so." Um, I think just being really clear on the the type of person that you need and what knowing they're going to do. Yeah, I love it. Knowing your foremost. avatar first and foremost, knowing how much you're willing to pay for that position, um, knowing how to train them, onboard them, and if you've never done it before, try it once. You'll become an expert pretty quick, um, or at least fail forward and figure out what you know you don't know. And then you can study how to do it. I know Wise Hire is a great option for you guys out there looking for direct report roles and agents, wisehire.com. Um, and then also Facebook posts. I mean, people have huge networks. Chris, I'm sure you have a huge network on Facebook. And then Craigslist, I, you know, I know Craigslist does still work for things like that. But I loved what you said. A lot of times it's, we already know the person. Sit back and spend 10 minutes, get off your devices and think about who would be the best for this role. And think through all the people you've known the last five or 10 years, independent of where they live in the country, it might be something that someone's willing to do. I know, um, I know there's a lot of stay-at-home moms and dads who would love to have a job between eight o'clock and three o'clock. 
and they have a hard time having a real job that they'd have to go physically to because of hours and transport and all that. The great part about a virtual role is you can work from home while the kids are at school, while the yeah. kids are napping. And so there's a lot of people that would be willing for 12 bucks an hour, 15 bucks an hour to work in that capacity. So I think that's great. Let's, uh, let's shift gears now. I know you've built a successful team. You said you're doing almost 2 million in GCI. Anyone listening would love to get to that point. I don't think a lot of our listeners are probably at that, um, at that level yet. And I think that's, that's fascinating. But you chose not to continue um, in your job, which was servicing the deals. You've been able to exit that, I think, for the most part and focus on what you're doing with the disposable income that you're able to generate. Um, we talked a little bit about Tony Robbins' book that you had read. And I want to get into that a little bit. So walk our listeners through your investment experience from the first deal until where you are today. Well, the first thing that I realized was that my time where it was being spent was limited as far as, you know, what I could actually do if I was in the business myself, right? Because like you said, it's an expensive job um, or it's a high paying job um, yeah. where you can actually hire out that role for less, still make that profit and, and it focus on other things. Um, so I, I started flipping properties actually in 2006. Um, I did totally lose a bunch of money uh, when the market crashed, but that, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so did everybody else and no big deal. Um, but I, I kept going. So I kept, once the market crashed, that's when we really started um, flipping a lot of properties. So I've been intimately involved in all the construction and, and design and everything that goes into that. Uh, but that's also highly leveraged. We had crews and, and things like that. Um, and then, you know, once I went through the divorce and, and everything kind of crumbled and, and crashed in my life, um, I, I took a step back from that and, and stopped doing it as much. And then once, because I mean, literally I, I, you know, I made close to a million dollars net, half of it went to the government, half of it went to my ex and I was left with nothing. So yeah, bye. It was all gone. So it just made me reevaluate what I was doing. Yeah. Especially, I mean, when I had to write that check to the government, I was like, this is insane. And yeah. my CPA said, well, the good thing is you made a lot of money. The bad thing is that you gave it all to the government. So he was the one who brought up the 1031 exchange. Um, he's like, you really, you really should look at instead of, you know, renovating and selling these properties, holding on to them for a year and then upgrading that, taking that equity that you built and upgrading that to the next property. So that's actually what I did. I, I bought a house, um, you know, that w that was needed a ton of work and I, it was a primary residence at the time. So I put, um, you know, 10% down, which at the time was $20,000 and, um, increased the, the value of that property to, and I did a construction loan. So, um, that was the after repair value. Um, I bought the property for 150. Um, I borrowed 225. Um, put the 10% down on that. So it was 22,000. And then um, it was worth 389. Once it was done, I rented it out. And then I took that extra, you know, 130,000 or 150,000 that I made in equity, and then rolled it over into a bigger property that was 700,000. And then but increased you, that to 900,000. Property though, you didn't just refinance and take the difference and put it in the next property, you actually sold it and did a 1031 into the next. And I do want to speak to this for a second yeah. for those listening that are like, well, I don't want to keep selling off the asset and just rolling into bigger assets. There are other, right. uh, the other option is to follow the Burr strategy for anyone that's not familiar with that. I know I've talked about it in the past, but it's buy, renovate, rent, refinance, repeat. And so she yeah. could have, you could have chosen to keep it, the asset, 
take as much out of it, fully leverage the asset after 12 months, or even we refinance the day we close, where we can pull equity out right. day, day one. The beauty behind 1031 and refinancing mm -hmm. is there's no tax implication. And that is everything. And you right. and 50% of our money, I mean, it's 42.5% goes to Uncle Sam I know. on the flip. It's yeah. crazy that people flip. I'm like, hold the deal and refinance it. Yeah. Well, I'll explain why I didn't refinance. Yeah. Because in our market, the prices are too high. To, when you refinance to get the money out, you're, you're not making any money on the rent you're or you're losing money, right? An obligation, yep. And That's perfect. Right, so I didn't want to do that because it didn't make sense. If I was in a lower priced market yep. where I could refinance and still make cash on cash return or still make money every month, then I would totally do that. But that was not the yep. situation got, here. If I refinanced, sure I would- you refi, you're covering your debt obligation for those listening. So in our market, exactly. we've gotten pretty lucky. A lot of our properties, rent for 2% of the valuation. Um, oh so like, I'm buying a $70,000 house that's worth around 120, fixing it up, putting like five grand into it, and then making it worth 140. And it rents for 1200, 1300 bucks a month. I put about it for 70 grand. And we have banks that will, will write us a check. If we can buy them 15% below market value, it's zero money down. If we can buy them for more than 15% yeah. below market, I get a check at closing. But of course, I'm not gonna fully leverage if I can't cash flow. Um, our goal in our market is to cash flow about yeah. $200 a door. But if I can't cash flow, there's no way I'm going to do that, obviously. Exactly. I mean, and that's why you got to know your market. And yeah. and that's really where I was at. And besides, I was really trying to get to a different place. I was really wanting to upgrade to a different property and then eventually turn that into, you know, multi-million dollar uh, uh, multi-units versus, um, because in our market, I mean, a $500,000 house rents for 2500 a month. What yeah, are you going to no do work. with that? No I mean, it's, yep. it's not a hold strategy. Yep. It's not the market to do that. So I'm going into lower priced areas to um, to do what you're talking about versus, you know, our market, which I know really well. So the risk is lower. Yeah. Um, I can make the money and then roll that over into what you're discussing as far as, um, you know, lower priced doors. Sure. Um, so for, because for anyone it doesn't make sense at all. This is the team building podcast where I like to teach individuals <laughs> stop selling real estate and to focus on building yeah. a business. The beauty behind a successful team that's already operating and or a successful investment company already operating is that it's very simple to parallel and add a few more individuals into the business to do something different. So for example, you've used your real estate team now to be a feeder for single family and multifamily acquisition. I've done the same, but I have found there's strong investment teams out there in the single and multi space that could list traditional if they build that into the business. So that is why we're covering right. this topic, but more so, is the future for teams, the future for agents, I think there's a lot of uncertainty. There is not uncertainty, in my opinion, around real estate. You look at real estate over the last 50 mm -hmm. years, people that own real estate are the people that can hold the wealth. The most successful, exactly. wealthy individuals I know, they have single family, multifamily storage units, land. You buy that today in 2019 money, in 2029 money, 2039 money, 20 years down the road, I'm guessing it doubles, it could triple. Who knows what's gonna happen when inflation takes place? Again, um, interest rates go up. We could see some crazy stuff. And you see big companies out there like Zillow and all these other giants that are just buying houses. I'm like, it's a, it's a seller's market. The market's going to come down. Why are they buying? They're smarter than I am. I'm guessing the market doesn't crash the way we think it is. I think that we see some major inflation coming down the road. So if you're holding real estate, that's, I think, the place that we want to be. Well, and the great thing about real estate is, is that it's leveraged. So eventually you pay it off and now you just got gobs of cash flow coming in. And it really just depends on what people want out of life and what their goals are. A lot of people 
have really vague ideas as far as what they want to accomplish. But if you're really specific, you know, you can do the math backwards. It's not that hard. Um, And, you know, you got to take the risks, obviously. But it to me, it it just and the depreciation you get out of it. I mean, we own our office building and and that basically keeps me from paying a lot more in taxes because of the depreciation that we get out of it. So, I mean, and, you know, I've always seen the real estate business, the brokerage side of the business as not a loss leader, but as something that allows you to springboard to other companies that are more profitable because everybody knows that, you know, real estate brokerages and and teams, it's not going to be the high margins that you can get out of other businesses like title and and, uh, mortgage where your your marketing expense is already done. They're already paid for in the brokerage. So take advantage of that and, and be able to bring off other businesses from when it. We, when we weren't on air, Christy and I were talking about all of our other parallel businesses and I had shared with her, you know, I've got title and I have insurance and I have this investment wing, I have a coaching wing, I have a real estate team. The thing that gets me the most jacked and excited is teaching people about investing in real estate, single family, multifamily storage use, I don't care what it is because I think it is truly the freedom. You can, you can rest assured in 20 years from now that real estate's still gonna be applicable. Whereas I don't know what the climate's right. gonna be on all those other business ventures that I talked about. Real estate, I feel pretty dang com- comfortable and confident. So for those listening, we've talked about that a lot today. Where have been the avenues you've gone down to learn more about investing? Where, what podcast could someone listen to? What book should somebody read? Where would be the first place? Because we had a lot of lingo talk today that maybe not all of our listeners <laughs> fully understood. It wasn't anything too advanced, but I know if you're not in that world of hearing those types of terms that we were referencing, you might not even know what we were talking about. So where would be the first step be in your opinion? Well, the first book I ever read about investing in real estate is Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And that was when I was 19 and I started buying real estate when I was 23. So, um, I mean, obviously that's, that's the, that's the first book I think anybody should read if they're looking to be an entrepreneur or anything like that. Um, Money Master the Game by Tony Robbins. Um, It's a big read. It's a very thick read. Um, but that really changed my mindset about taxes and strategies and, um, those types of things. And, uh, so, um, and then I think that, um, the groups that I belong to, so I've been to Kent Clothier's events, um, scale and escape, find and flip. Um, I follow him on Instagram, um, same as Sean Terry a lot. So I think that those guys are are amazing. I mean, the events they put on are just spectacular. Um, but really anywhere. Oh, and uh, Keith Cunningham. As far as finances go, that guy is a genius. He really is. Um, his book, The Road Less Stupid, is one of my favorite books. Awesome. Um, but I think it's just really about educating yourself and understanding that, you know, you have to be in that world. You know, yep. you have to be around people well, what, that well, are doing those things. Every market has a local group. So keep it simple, stupid, yep. right? RE, there's a real estate investment organization in most cities, REIA, REI. There's different names for them, but just search them on. I'm sure you probably have heard of them. And if you haven't, just Google search in your own mm-hmm. marketplace. In DC, there's probably tons of meetups. I know in Omaha, there's two or three. Get in, in good yeah. graces with people that are already doing the investing. Um, there's a lot of people out there that don't have the money to close on deals. And so we become really close to those people. You call those wholesalers. And we actually have right. the money. And so a lot of those people are bringing us deals, off-market deals, because they know we can actually close on them. And so you can build a lot of great right. relationships that way too. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. If you're looking to stay local and travel and, and do all those things, I mean, that's a great way to do it. But there's there's plenty of people on Instagram you could follow that yep. um, share their strategies and and answer your questions. And I mean, there's lots of ways to get involved and learn for free, especially nowadays. I mean, back in the day, 
you know, 10, 15 years ago, you didn't have access to the information that you have access to now. Yep. Totally agree. Um, another great strategy for us was to do the exact same thing I did when I wanted to learn about building real estate teams, which was travel to lots of locations of people that are already doing it. There's a lot of coaches out there that offer those like one day or two day workshops. One of which that I'm very, very good friends with is Maddie Aitchison up in Sacramento. The Rich Life is his program. And so if you want to check that out, we can put a show note here um, on this podcast, but you can also just Google search Matt Aitchison, The Rich Life. And he has a whole coaching organization about teaching and mentoring and providing people all the systems and resources to be able to invest. So I think that this has been an awesome podcast. Let's put a bow on it, as Matt Johnson would say. Um, if you guys want to reach out to Christy, uh, what's the best way for someone to do that, Christy? Um, you can hit me up on Instagram at the Christy Moore, and that's K-R-I-S-T-Y. Um, or you could follow me on Facebook, which is Christy Moore. And, um, you know, I respond to everybody's messages. If you have any questions, I'd be happy to answer any questions that you have. DC area, her team, I'm sure takes referrals. If you're an agent or an admin that has to be associated with Christy Moore, reach out to her. I'm sure she'd love to talk to you. And, um, if you could go out to iTunes, I haven't asked for this for a while. We're trying to get over a hundred reviews on our iTunes page, go to the team building podcast in iTunes, give us five stars, reference this podcast, give Christy a shout out and let us know that it's bringing value to you. The more you um, put those reviews on different people's podcasts, the more other people will find those podcasts when they're searching the similar content. So please do that, not just for us, but also so that other people can find these. So Christy, thank you so much. We got into a lot. You were very authentic and shared some of your fails in the past. I'm sure other people can identify with that as well. And you're doing a great job. Keep doing it. And um, thank you again. We'll probably bring you on in about six months from now and see how things are going. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.